This hour is brought to you by CarX Tire and Auto online at carx.com. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Anytime you have that added exposure, the interviews, you get to see them up close and personal, and really you get the whole staff there too, because you know when you do school visits, usually we'll align it where it's one or two, maybe three scouts going to a school. Now you have the whole staff, you see them compete. Um, for some smaller school guys that get to go against guys from Power 5 schools, so that exposure is important. It's a, it's a big part of the evaluation. Ryan Poles telling us how he's looking for guys and for what he is looking. Eric Edholm is one of our folks who has feet on the ground in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. He is NFL.com's lead draft writer, so he is very, very busy Eric joins us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. All right, how's it looking? What what's what is this uh the the view from the top right now? How's how's this crop of kids? Well, first of all, literally the top cuz I I just walked up to the press box and practice is starting and when you guys played that little bit of sound from from Ryan Poles, I was actually walking right past Ryan Poles. So, I had a little like out-of-body experience hearing his voice and seeing him, but his mouth wasn't moving. So uh, it, it's been one of those weeks. It's been a little bit uh, a little bit strange down here. And I wouldn't say it's the greatest uh, Senior Bowl collection of talent ever. I think it's probably one of the weaker uh, years talent-wise in memory. Uh, maybe the quarterbacks have a little something to do with that. But uh, overall, at least the weather is kind of held off for now and uh, getting in the final day before the game on Saturday. E, what was it like when the news broke about Tom Brady? <laughs> we were we were in, I think it was the Wednesday morning, the breakfast. So, like, the players were coming out, and it was they'd had a day of practice already. And Luke Getze, you know, the head coach of one of the teams down here, spoke and a few other guys. And uh, In fact, somebody asked Getze what he thought of Tom Brady retiring. He said, first time hearing of it. So, a lot of the players and the people involved in the game didn't know. But you could kind of hear it, you know, rippling throughout the room. I mean, it was, you know, you, you don't get to necessarily see news spread in real time out in public very often these days, or at least it's mostly online for me anyway. But, uh, yeah, it was very interesting to see. And, uh, you know, a lot of the players were – they've never known an NFL without Tom Brady. That's the craziest thing. I had dinner with a 24-year-old sports writer was in our group last night, and he said, I've – been alive through his entire career <laughs> and it just sort of made me feel old and depressed but uh yeah it was a little bit of a, a shock to the players and, and some of the guys down here what's been your impression of Getze having a chance to see him work and and spend more time than we would ordinarily get with him necessarily at, at Hallis Hall yeah he's very loose I mean he's he's really kind of enjoying the week and and I think you know knowing that you can have some fun with it and it's you know this isn't uh, basic training. We don't have to, you know, put everybody uh, under the microscope and make it seem like it's this uh, super complicated process. It's football practice. You know, I think, you know, you want to cater to the scouts who want to see lots of one-on-one drills. And I think he's done a good job of that. You also want to keep it interesting for the players. And, you know, they had some showdowns at the end of practice some one-on-one battles uh, to, you know, determine who gets to do push-ups and who doesn't that sort of thing, offense versus defense. So, you know, at the same time, you also have to install plays. So he's done a really good job from what I can tell, you know, from the outside of keeping it loose, making sure everybody's focused when it's football time, 
you know, giving him enough instruction, you know, and overseeing the entire operation. He's been wandering around a lot, like kind of popping in on different groups to check and see how they're doing and stuff. And I think the the highlight of his week was Tuesday when he came out wearing a Veets t-shirt. Now Veets is like the infamous local dive bar that, you know, collects all the NFL types, agents, coaches, scouts, media, everybody. And it's, it's a dark place. It's a place you don't want to go unless it's the very end of the night. And so I love the humor from, because anyone who's been to Mobile knows Beats. I compare it to anybody. I don't even know if it's still a bar, but Ties Till Four Mm -hmm. in Lakeview. You know, like the place you go when you're out of options elsewhere. Like, you know, everywhere else is closing. You got to get somewhere for a last drink. That's the uh, Chicago equivalent down here. Wait, was Kyle Farnsworth down at Beats? (laughs) (laughs) I was actually there when he was pouring drinks one night. Many moons ago, I, I was like, is that is that Farnsworth? They're like, yeah, like he, he's here every night. You know, he's pouring drinks whenever he wants. So, yeah, this is uh, I didn't see Getty actually pouring drinks, but you know, he thought enough of the place to buy a T-shirt and then wear it during practice, which I which I just adored. Oh, I'm looking at pictures now. This is my kind of place. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's like that place we ended up in Scottsdale that one night. I don't even remember the name of it. Where there were like dollar bills that were stapled to the walls, and there was like a bunch of homeless people outside in a heap. It was what a night that was. God, yeah, this is. Perfect. I could tell some story. I could probably do like a coffee table book of all the things that I've heard in that place, uh, NFL or not. So yeah, it's it's quite the uh, yeah, quite I the bet. place. I bet. Now, what drills tell you the most about a player personally? You know, it's funny. If you'd asked me a couple years ago, I would have definitely said offensive line, defensive line, one-on-one drills. Like, that's the the meat and potatoes of Mobile. Like, you get to really see who stands out. But, you know, I've somebody reminded me that, like, Terrence Steele, who was started at right tackle for the Cowboys for most of the last three years, you know, he went undrafted, and he got destroyed in those drills down here. And has turned out to be a pretty good player. And last year, there was a kid from Oklahoma, Perry and Winfrey, who was kind of the star of – he was the MVP on defense of the game, but also in the one-on-one drills. And, you know, he, everyone thought he was kind of a second-round guy. He ended up going in the fourth. So, I don't know if other people put in the league, decision-makers, put as much weight on the, the one-on-one drills as I have in the past. So, you know, it's one of those things, like, you can see some really interesting stuff. Aaron Donald killed it when he was here. You know, I mean, stars come and play well, and, and you know, and those drills can be, you know, indicative of that. But sometimes we may put too much weight in those. I don't know. It's, it's one of those processes that you have to kind of figure out on the fly. When you got the Senior Bowl roster, yeah, who were a couple of players that you circled that you wanted to learn more about? Yeah, this year's been tough. I mean, it, it, we had a couple plays. In fact, you know, one of the kids I was probably most excited to see was Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. And obviously, you know, Chase Brown and Sidney Brown are here and, you know, well represented after, after a nice season for the Illini and everything. But Witherspoon was, would have been the highest ranked guy, yeah, at least in the defensive backfield down here. And, you know, those quarters are hard to find. So he was one that I was excited about. Fortunately, he didn't come, you know, he didn't uh, decide to stick with it this week. So, Probably because his stock is too high. I mean, he's he's well regarded in the league. And Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech is probably going to be a high pick and a really freaky long guy. I was excited for him. But the biggest one was probably Dewan Jones from Ohio State. 
measured in with an 89-inch wingspan. I mean, we, I've never heard of such a thing before. I think it's going to set the combine record when he gets there. I mean, he's a massive human being, but he moves really well. He missed yesterday with a little stomach bug, but, I mean, this is a guy with uncommon size and uncommon movement ability for that size. So he's not just a big dude who gets in the way. He he can move, and he can kind of harness his power really well. So I wish he was out here yesterday, but he's one that, that definitely opened my eyes day one. I'm seeing a lot of Ty J. Spears, the two-lane running yeah. back, popping into my timeline. Oh, man, he's he's a fun one. He really is. So for people who are you know uninitiated to Ty J. Spears, he really didn't take off until about midway through the season and Tulane was on this, you know, started this incredible streak and they ended up beating USC in the, in the bowl game. I think he uh, Spears finished the year with eight straight 100 rushing yard games. And the, just for good measure, the USC game was 200. He had four touchdowns. He's not big. He's like, you know, five, nine, five, 10, 204 pounds, but he's got massive quads. He's got incredible balance and quickness. They didn't use him a lot as a receiver there, but he's looked natural catching the ball. I mean, you know, he's probably the one, uh, you know, one of about half a dozen or so players who probably helped himself the most. But again, this also kind of was on the coattails of a unbelievable finish to the season. So yeah, he's definitely put his best foot forward. Considering how long you've covered the NFL, we talk a lot and have talked a lot this year about how the league has changed when it comes to the quarterbacks. And and now mm-hmm. dual-threat quarterbacks, it's not a, a dirty word anymore to talk about players as dual threats. Have you seen over the last few years at the Senior Bowl the coaching, on even on the defensive side, like does it play to the idea of that quarterbacking itself has actually changed? Yeah, absolutely. And and just to take a tiny step back, like when they when the Senior Bowl, I was talking to Jim Nagy, who the executive director of the, of the Senior Bowl, and you know he was kind of telling me I was asking about the quarterback process because this year's a bunch of mostly day three picks and some undrafted guys. It's not a banner group. It's going to be the first year in several where they didn't have a like a top hundred pick at quarterback down here. But I was kind of asking about the process, and a couple times he made clear that like there's almost a preference put towards the, the dual threat quarterback. Now, you know, they didn't invite a certain quarterback who, who will remain nameless. Cause I was told not to, to say, but, um, and he's a good accomplished quarterback. I'm sure you guys know who it is and have watched him. They didn't invite him because he's kind of stiff and doesn't, you know, move around very well. Can he throw the ball? Yeah. It, you know, are there other issues? Sure. But uh, yeah, so I definitely think it's had a ripple effect on not only the, the Senior Bowl and the other All-Star games, but just kind of the team building and draft process to begin with, too. And I think it's, like you said, it's no longer considered a, a, a stigma. It's not considered something that's, that's held against the guy. <laughs> People are finally, you know, taking advantage of this stuff, and they realize all the different combinations you could do with it. And it's just the threat of a running quarterback can change how things are played. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's it's been a – a massive difference from even, you know, 10 years ago. What about watching wide receivers one-on-one against corners? Anybody making yeah. a name for themselves in those? You know, the one who, who probably surprised me the most, I don't know if he's the best down here. I think Rasheed Rice from, from SNU is maybe the cleanest receiver prospect down here off the top of my head. Uh, there are other good ones, too. I mean, last year we saw Christian Watts, who ended up with the Packers, you know, kind of come in as a day three type prospect perform really well, you know, show off his high point ability and everything. And 
you know, I, I think this year's version is uh, Andre Yosivas, who's a, a Princeton kid via Hawaii. I mean, he's got a crazy story and, you know, really smart kid ran track and like looks the part. I mean, he is your Christian Watson of this year, I think. So he certainly helped himself out. But the one who really surprised me the, the most is Michael Wilson out of Stanford. I truthfully didn't know a whole lot about him. His teammate, Elijah Higgins, got a little bit more press, I would say, and He's been injured and everything, but, boy, this is a good-looking kid. I mean, 6'2", 200, runs well, catches everything, you know, runs clean routes, gains separation. So, uh, of of the ones that I, you know, compared to what I thought coming in, I would say he's sort of a, a riser. But his teammate, Caillou Blue Kelly, whose dad, Brian Kelly, was uh, the Bucks corner during those uh, great, you know, John mm-hmm. Lynch, Derek Brook defenses. His kid is out here and playing well. He had a pick six yesterday. I'd say he's been uh, among the best corners. We were talking about Luke Getze and him being the head coach, and and you you were talking about how much fun he's having and having to do this. Why did the Senior Bowl go away from full staffs being, and they've got these blended staffs from different places around the NFL to, to coach the teams instead of one staff is going down to Mobile and they'll take one team and the Patriots and Bill Belichick will take the other. Right. Yeah, so they, they kind of flipped it this year. And, and when Nagy talked about it at the opening press conference, they, it, for years, you know, for however long the Senior Bowl's been around, 73 or four years or whatever, they've always had the full staff. You know, they, they take the Bears staff or they take the Cardinals staff or whatever, bring them down here and they coach as a unit. They thought, you know, the co- cohesion of a group. and It was always a, you know, they would start from the bottom of the standings and any coaching staff that wasn't fired or, you know, didn't have a head coach or major changes – was eligible for the game and they would just go up the ladder, you know, towards the higher ranked teams and ask, do you want to go? Do you want to go? You know, but this year they gave that honor to, or that, that benefit, I guess, to the, to the East West shrine game. And it's clear that there's now a, a, you know, an arms race between the two games, you know, the East West is trying to get their prospects and, you know, senior bowls kind of holding on for tradition and they want to be the, the premier game and everything. And so as I understand it, they're going to flip back next year. So the East West will have the kind of the Frankenstein crew. And these are young up and coming coaches who are trying to get their names out there. Many of them minorities, many of them in their, you know, maybe have had college routes they've come from or, you know, trying to get some exposure. Um, and then the senior bowl will get the staffs next year. I don't, you know, nobody's confirmed that for me, but that was the the way it was, kind of described to me originally please tell me that there are just reese's everywhere that you can just <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it yeah it's usually this endless supply although i'm not staying downtown this year the hotel is like you know the willy wonka factory of, of reese's i mean but i <laughs> so i've i've you know like you can peel them off the wall almost right that's how plentiful they are but this year i have been remarkably reese's free I think my wife will be happy about that when I get back. But, yeah, I haven't seen hardly any here this year, and I'm, I'm kind of stunned. Eric Edholm, give us a lot of names, a lot of info. Much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. See you. That's Eric Edholm, NFL.com lead draft writer. Next up, college basketball. It's about that time where we got to start paying attention. Who are these guys? Who's good? Who's bad? Who do we watch? Why are teams good? Why are they bad? Let's get an expert. Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. He's going to be calling Northwestern Michigan tonight. He'll join us next on The Score. 
Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Station, Station, Station. Western will pick up their 10th win at home this season. They're 10-3 here at Welsh Ryan. An arena, if you haven't been to it, is great once they redid this a few years ago. And the students are here and loud like they are. It makes for a great atmosphere even when a game isn't that close. Yeah, winning helps, and they're finally doing that at Northwestern after a rough one last year. Here to talk about that and more in the world of college basketball is Seth Greenberg. He's on Twitter at Seth on Hoops. The ESPN analyst joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Seth, how you been? Doing great. How you guys doing? We are doing really well, and we're looking forward to seeing what Northwestern could come up with. They've got a lot of good wins to to back up their 15 and 6 record. How were they able to to get off to such a good start and put them in in serious tournament consideration? Well, they're an elite defensive team. I mean, I think that's the biggest change in this team. They got a veteran backcourt which obviously always helps, but it's really what they're doing defensively. They're so connected defensively. They're forcing a turnover 20% of their possessions uh in Big 10 play. What that enables them to do is play ahead of the defense. You get deflections, you get out in transition, uh, and then those guards can attack. But what they're doing defensively has been phenomenal. And it starts with Chase O'Dee, Jabu Bowie's pressure on the ball, and how connected their bigs are in terms of their ball screen coverages. So when you describe those coverages, are they blitzing? Are they showing? Are they icing? Are they going underneath? Are they multiple? Sure. Well, first of all, they're switching one through four a lot. But when they, when four or five are involved in ball screens, they're basically blitzing or hard hedging early. And what they do a really good job of is they, they hit the roller. They'll go and trap down that roller on the baseline and then look to basically get intercept spots, take away the pass back out on the ball side, and then obviously read, read the pass with shoulders and eyes. Uh, but it all starts with their ability to get deflections and pressure the basketball. But you push the defense offense out one step further, those entry passes are a little longer. They've done a pretty good job of doubling the post, most times big to big, which has been really good in terms of, especially tonight, uh, you know, you're playing against uh, a Michigan team with Hunter Dickinson. Uh, that you know, Hunter Dickinson's a guy that you got to get the ball out of his hands and double him early and quick and hard. Uh, they're, just, they're just really impressive defensively. But they're an older, mature team, uh, which I think is important, and they're getting good contributions uh, from a lot of different guys. I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's not just, you know, Adige and, and, Boo, uh, and, and Boo Booey. It's, you know, it's Ty Berry goes and makes six threes against Nebraska. You know, it's Martinelli now coming off the bench, giving them good minutes. It's Bonheiser you know, coming off to get rabbit a defensive rebound and pushing it and getting them something to transition. So I've been I've been really just impressed with how connected this team is. Seth, as I've been watching college basketball over the last few weeks, I'm having a hard time figuring out who I believe is good. And I get it. We're five weeks away from Selection Sunday. I maybe shouldn't even know who's really good or who's going to be a tournament team. But even last night, like you're watching like, yeah, you know what? I could squint and see Florida being dangerous if they were to actually get into the tournament. And I'm unsure about Tennessee. This season, who have you? How, who do you know is good? And who do you wonder about? Are they good? Well, I think Tennessee is good. I don't. I think the bigger thing is who is great, and I'm not sure anyone is great. 
but there are a lot of good teams. Tennessee's a very good team. I mean, they're an elite defensive team. They offensive rebound, 35% of their misses. They run you off the three-point line. They can play big. They can play small. You know, Florida did a good job defensively. Uh, on the road, you're going to lose games. They're not great. They're a good team. Purdue has been great or, or very good a majority of the season. They're doing it with two freshman guards. You know, UCLA is very good, but they lost to USC on the road because, you know what, they're not great. You know, you go around college basketball, we thought that in the end of the light bulb was going on. Trace Jackson Davis was playing great. Uh, Jalen Huchifino was still in a role. And then they lay an egg the other night. So, uh, you know, to me, there are a lot of good teams. I don't know how many great teams there are, which is going to make a great NCAA tournament. But uh, just because the team loses a game doesn't mean they're not very good. It just doesn't mean they're great. And I think that there's a lot of reasons behind that. And I'm a big believer. There's a lot of static around college basketball right now. All right, where does the static come from? Static comes from peer pressure. Static comes from social media. The static comes from parental pressure. The static comes from the transfer portal. The static comes from so many different, you know, NIL. Uh, it's hard to keep your team's attention the way you need to keep your team's attention to win consistently. And we've seen it, whether it's Houston, whether it's Tennessee, uh, you know, or whether it's Alabama, everyone has had their issues maintaining a focus from game to game. Which is interesting when you see the decisions that some longtime coaches, guys like Jay Wright and Mike Bray, are making now and, and talking some very specifically and others sort of guardedly about exactly what you're talking about. It's interesting you use the word static. How would and how should, like if you're John Shire right now at Duke and you are a, a young, smart guy in this new landscape, how would you advise one sets up a tuner to – to, to lessen that static? How, is, it, is it a matter of making your kids focus more or understanding they're just not going to be as focused and maybe some things need to be changed or simplified or the mechanism by which we teach must be different? No, it has nothing to do with the teaching. John does a really good job. I've been to a bunch of his practice and had a ton of conversations. I think what you do have to do as a coach is you've got to see the finish line. And what I mean by that is, you know, this time of the year you're playing a 1,000 games, right? A lot of times you're focusing on your opponent. I think you need everything you do, you need to focus on your team in the moment, conceptually, offensively, and defensively. And then apply those offensive and defensive concepts to your opponent in relation to personnel. Because in the end, like say Duke and John Shire or Rick Barnes, who said struggled the NCAA tournament, in the end, how are you really judged? Are you judged that you're number one in the country in February? Or you judge once you get in the NCAA tournament. You're judged once you get in the NCAA tournament, how your team performs. So I think if you can get your team to continue to get better by focusing on your team, and then when you get to the NCAA tournament, look, everyone knows it's one, one and done. So then I think you can get it, and you've got to have that meeting. Let's all get on the same page. Now, other people do it differently. A great coach in the Big Ten, Steve Peichel, he sits down with his team before the season and says, all right, everyone is both feet in. Once we have both feet in at the end of this year, if I don't think you're right for us or you don't think we're right for you, we'll help you any way we can. But while we're here, we need to all be all both feet in. So I think John's done a good job. They've, John's biggest problem is that they've dealt with a zillion injuries. And they lost Lively and Whitehead the whole preseason where you're laying your foundation. 
Then all of a sudden, six weeks later, you get those guys. Those guys are well behind. They get Tyrese Proctor. He misses the whole summer because he doesn't come over until the season started. So he's a little bit behind. But across the landscape of college basketball, the economy of college basketball has impacted it, NIL, but also along with that has been just the lack of attention. Because let's face it, all these kids have NIL agents. Uh, parents have expectations that are unrealistic in terms of how easy college basketball is. And it's just harder to maintain your team's focus. If you were still coaching right now, what would be your approach to talking to a recruit that was coming to play with you? And let's say that this is a a major recruit that maybe does have NIL opportunities. How do you go about managing that with the player and the parent? It's pay for play. First of all, it's not NIL anymore. A very rare instance, it's NIL. It's pay for play. Collectives are pay for play. That's what collectives are. Collectors aren't NIL. Let's be let's be truthful in that. But I would tell our guys don't like don't come here for NIL. You know, we have everything in place. You know we've got collectives and we've got things in place. But if you're coming here for NIL, you're making a mistake. Come here because you know what? You're going to be on part of a good team with a good culture with a good group of people that are going to work their tails off. That we're going to coach you every single day hard and help you get better. And you're going to have an incredible experience at school X, Y, and Z. That's how I would handle it. I'm just wondering if a coach, and I think a lot of coaches would, because that sounds correct and it sounds nice and 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 right. But I, there, there's going to be somebody who leans in oppositely and just puts all the eggs in the NIL basket. And it's more than one collective, and said other guys are going to give you all this stuff about a family and an experience, <laughs> and we are going to make you rich. Well, here's the thing: a lot of people are making promises for collectives and all that, and and you know, a guy gets hurt. Do you still get your collective money? Probably not. He's not playing. So a lot of guys are making promises they can't fulfill. I, I, I ideally, in a perfect world, I'd say, all right, everyone on teams make the same amount of money. Whatever you get on NIL, all right, that's on your own. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with it. But everyone's going to get X, Y, and Z. It is pay for play. That's the way that we're all getting fifty grand or whatever it is. And after that, let's focus on one thing. You know, the better we play, the more we win, the, the better it is for everyone. Before we let you go, who is the best pro prospect you've seen? Like, who's somebody where you get back to the – Brandon Miller. By far? Brandon Miller. I think Keontae George is nipping at his heels. And I I, I really like uh, Bryce Sensabaugh. But uh, Brandon Miller, yes, without a doubt. I think he's the best – I think he'll be the first college player picked in the NBA draft. What about him do you like? He, he's got a little Kevin Durant in him. He's 6'9". He can shoot the three, 40%. He rebounds the ball on both ends. He can defend. He's an unbelievable young kid who's a great teammate. Uh, he's going to continue to get stronger. He's got great feel, doesn't force it, lets it come to him. He's really good. Roll tight. Seth, thank you very much. We appreciate Thanks, the time, Dad. sir. All right. Thank you. That's Seth Greenberg, ESPN analyst. I, he sounds so coachy. I just I love he's the, he's irritated too. Oh, I know he's irritated, coachy. I like it. I like it. I like I like the, 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 between the New York accent and everything, and you, know, you hear everybody running around in the background. It just that sounds basketball. Dan, I I think that you're yeah. right though. For every every coach like Seth, there's there's a cow. Because I remember th- th- this reminds me of the one in, when the one and done started. 
And all the old coaches were grumbling about it in Bayheim and all these guys. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Grumbling. What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do? And, and even the ocean, but, but Shashevsky, who initially was, you know, he hated the one and done. He hated when, you know, but what, but what happens when you, when you know you got to embrace it? And you had Calipari like, okay, you go play one of them, play a year for me. Yeah, come play I'm going to get you to the NBA. Yeah, come and My play whole job is to get you to the NBA. Yeah, but there's, there really is a good article, though, an AP article that's reprinted in the Tribune about that. the exact problem with NIL and the collectives being no contracts. And if it's going to be what he, exactly what he says, pay for play, you've got to have documentation. There, there's no way you can say, hey, you know, and the way it's going right now. You're We're going to give you $13 no, million. Dollars. No, you come here. The, the last guy, he got this much money. I'm not saying how much because they can't. And the collectives are doing it. And what's happening is coaches are actually ending up with players they didn't recruit. Right. The collectives are, are bringing guys in, promising money. And the coach, I, I didn't want this guy. Why'd you give him money? Yeah. No, that's, that, that is actually happening out there. But it's... Uh, well, this is, this is the, the, the part of the, this process where we're going to a system where people are actually being paid for their labor. So now it's incumbent upon the NCAA and coaches to work together to try to figure out what works best for everybody instead of what was happening, which was what worked best for the coach. When we come back, there was an incident that apparently finally made it to social media between uh, Illinois fans and Iowa basketball. And there something it's a little gross. It, it, it's more than a little gross that what what the what these Illinois kids with these students did was really awful really bad and there should be consequences for it all right we will discuss that next here on the score dan bernstein lawrence holmes middays 10 to 2 on 670 the score and 670thescore.com in odyssey station what the hell's going on out here dan can can i do a follow-up before we do the serious stuff yeah so remember how earlier i was telling you that you know a friend of the show a famous friend of the show was listening, and I didn't oh, want to... with the hernia stuff? Yeah, and yeah. then I didn't want to put them on blast, because you never know. You know, you don't want people to get in trouble or whatever. Well, this if you go to my Instagram, you'll see that it was Sarah Spain that I was talking about, who was listening to the show. <laughs> All right, so that's out there. And and her husband, Brad, who is awesome, is one of the really good people, and... Uh, <laughs> So, so obviously, like I, I've been to their house. I've had dinner with them. They are wonderful, wonderful people with beautiful dogs, by the way. And so I have both of their phone numbers. So obviously, Sarah's listened to the show. She texted me and told me the story. Are you going to foment marital strife here? Apparently, okay. And then Brad hit me up and was like, "But let me tell you what really happened." No, mm-hmm. so the rest of the story. So let me let me let Brad get his. His piece out here. He says, I was in immense, an immense amount of pain. They wheeled me out to the car. She had our dog with us, so he's trying to climb all over me. Then she cranks weird bleeping owl. Doesn't even ask how I'm doing. It was awful. Zero bedside manner. <laughs> I, I, I do not rescind one iota of my previously stated opinion. And he goes, she'd do the same thing again. Absolutely. I'm entirely on her side on this.
That's genius. <laughs> Absolute genius. I'm shocked you've never heard it. So my guy, billionaire Brad, we hopefully we have uh, given your side of the story. And now I look forward to the back and forth text that I'm going to get for the rest of the afternoon. Now, in a similar vein, when you hear one side of a story and then you find out the truth and you find out who people are trying to manipulate here, we're learning a lot about what uh, this this Illinois fan group called the Orange Crush with a K. Yeah. D- and, tell people what happened. And who they think they are. Before we well, get let, to that, no, let's whiteboard well, this. Well, let me, I'm going to read, I'm going to tell you how I experienced this. Okay. I had this official statement from their official Twitter page sent to me, forwarded to me by a bunch of apparent downstate goobers, especially if you go through some of these timelines. Because the Orange Crush, you know, the people that that support them and retweet, there's a lot of insurrectionist in there and a lot of insurrectionist adjacent and a lot of really crappy people. The people that like to to side with them and send out their stuff and, and, and represent them on social media. And if they don't like it, they should police that themselves. So saying, are you going to talk about this? Are you going to talk about like, like there was some grave injustice perpetrated against this Illinois fan group? So I'm going to read you their statement. Okay. It just says, Orange Crush Road Trip News. And this is long, so I'm, I'm going to do my best here. As many may know, as the nation's premier student section... The Orange Crush attends one road game per year, going back to 2002. First of all, nobody knows this, and nobody cares. Yeah, I, it's... Nobody cares. This, this is just the most self-important BS, okay? This year, for our 20th trip, the road trip destination was to be Carver-Hawkeye Arena in Iowa City this upcoming Saturday to see our fighting Illini take on Iowa. Unfortunately, the University of Iowa Athletics Department has today notified us they've invalidated all 200 tickets that the Orange Crush had legally purchased. Underline that. It is highly unfortunate for our group that this trip has been canceled because we were looking forward to it since receiving the tickets in the mail in October. It is highly unfortunate for the 150 students that collectively fundraised a total of $2,649.41 for local charitable organizations in order to be invited on this trip. Most of all, it is highly unfortunate that the University of Iowa and their athletic department refused to face the consequences of the mistake they made in selling tickets to a billing address in Champaign, Illinois. It is against the spirit of competition and rivalry, two outstanding attributes of the Big Ten Conference, to make this decision. And it goes on and on and on, this list of, of, of grievances, because Iowa waited to make this decision till today. It's too close to the scheduled date to ch- cancel the charter buses. This leads to our 501c3 organization losing nearly $6,000 from our $30,000 budget. Uh-oh. Financially, we cannot afford to pivot to another destination. Blah, 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 blah. Assuming the chosen destination is on a campus with a less fearful athletic department than the one representing the University of Iowa. It's disappointing. We won't get to be there. We take it as a compliment. The Orange Crush is a strong enough section to be so feared that an opposing athletic department is willing to sacrifice $5,400 and ruin a sellout in order to turn us away. Thank you for the adoration you've shown the Orange Crush through your cowardice. Okay. Now, wait. Then it goes on and on and on. I-L-L, the Orange Crush. So... Whatever, right? First of all, so this gets sent to me like, say, talk about this, like some some injustice has been perpetrated no, no, against No, now look, we both have very strong feelings about geofencing tickets. I didn't like it when the Nashville oh, Predators did the it. The Brewers have done it. Well, it's whack, yeah. Like, yeah, right? Yeah, right we, can, yeah. we can agree that that is whack. But that's not what's going on here. 
Correct. To a certain extent. So this then came out after the fact. And I didn't do anything about it because I didn't care. And I'm just going to lie in there going to sleep. Like, what are these? You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't really it doesn't, concern doesn't, you. It doesn't, doesn't you, move the needle. Yeah. doesn't move the needle. So then I look at this report from David Eichholt of CBS Sports. The Orange Crush bought the tickets at a group rate posing as the Illinois chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. I'm going to say that again. They bought the tickets at a group rate posing as the Illinois chapter of the Boys and Girls Club. They later admitted to doing this when confronted by Iowa Athletics. Iowa voided their tickets, and Iowa is donating those tickets to the Cedar Rapids Boys and Girls Club. What are we doing here? That's fraud. It is fraud. And you're a 501c3. That's the type of thing that puts your 501c3 in jeopardy. You're damn right. When you're screwing around as a a supposed charity that raises a chunk of money for whatever you're doing locally to say, oh, we're we're, we're a charity. This is our budget. We're a 501c3. And then to actually disguise yourself as another charity because you were afraid that somebody would what are we doing here that's like this dirty is, pool yeah this, that is dirty pool and i and if you want to say well these are these are kids and this is part of the, what you do as fans and it's all fun and games that's not fun and games that's not when when you are pretending to be an actual charity and you know that you've got to disguise yourself, and then you lie about it, the, the worst part is then putting out this self-congratulatory, self-important propaganda when it's not, none of this is true. I wonder if they didn't say anything if Iowa would have said anything. I wonder if they're actually making... They're making their case to have their 501c3 yeah, you should be dissolved because they they wanted to jump out in front of this and act like they're the victim in this when it seems clearly they were either given bad advice or came up with a bad choice of of impersonating the the boys and girls club. So are you saying like, that's terrible? Do you uh, you're saying the person that wrote this statement didn't know? I, I don't know. I'm I'm wondering well, they better if, if put this out a, was pre, a preemptive strike by them, and if they have maybe miscalculated, as clearly they are wont to do. You know what they need? Another statement. Yeah, and and I don't. I wonder if if the Iowa athletic department would have been like, okay, this is bad. They tried to get us. They didn't get us, and would have just been like, all right, whatever. But once you put out that statement. The Iowa Athletic Department has to respond. Yes. And because they're responding, it becomes a bigger story. And, and, and the people that were reaching out to you were hoping at the time that you would fan the flames to make Iowa athletics look bad. But either way, they committed fraud. Like, how can you not realize that when it all gets out, Iowa just has to tell the truth? The truth makes you look bad because doing this is bad. And it isn't just that. It's lame. It's corny. It's corny. You're just fans. You're just fans. You don't play. You're not feared. Well, okay. 
to the premier student section. They were so feared, and they're cowardice. They're not afraid of you. No, 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 no. Those words are too harsh. But I do agree with. I don't like the idea of my money. My money's good. Yeah, where buys tickets? I should be able to buy tickets to any event that I want. If they had just represented and said we're the Orange Crush student section and they want to buy a bunch of tickets, they should be allowed. Like they, they one hundred percent absolutely should be allowed. Totally. But they shouldn't have to impersonate another group to do it. And, another and, charity. Right. And I don't care that, that they might be involved with a, a charity. That doesn't mean that they're representing the charity. Those are two very different things. So I, I feel like there's a lot of wrong here. And I don't know who who will then go about investigating this. But they should. And these are some of the things that happen when you're you're young. You end up feeling like there is an injustice. And maybe you don't see the entire mosaic of how this looks, how it makes you look, how silly it is. That's the thing. It's lame. And, it, it, and if you are endangering your tax-exempt status for your organization because of this, fine. And this isn't a private university either. This is a state university. These are yeah. both these are both state universities. And if you are a registered 501c3 affiliated with a state university, you better make sure everything is above board when taxpayer dollars are involved. Right. And I see people trying to bend over backwards to defend What do you What are you defending? There's there's all there's already some kids will be kids type stuff going on here inside of our, our text messages. Like it just like it's just lame. Like, would you really want would you really want your son or daughter to be involved in in what is a fraud? Like this is this is fraud. Like, and it's it's whack. Like, it's really bad to do that. No matter what the intentions are and the good things that they might do. Just because you want to paint your face and yell at a basketball game? It's just the, the amount of self-important drivel in here. Yeah. The puffery of this, as many may know, the nation's... Screw you. The fearful and the cowardice. I was afraid of a, a red-faced goober from Mattoon yelling at them. Matthew. Get Come on. Yeah, and, and they knew that, the, as the text said, they, and they knew... Iowa wouldn't let them have those seats, which again I think is stupid. Yeah, but that's fine. But if that's the rule, that's the rule. It's pick it's, somebody else. Yes, but it's also a terrible rule. I I think that that should be you should want other people to come. If if you're not selling the tickets, if people get there first, they get there first. But listen, my university just went dealt with this this past weekend. Marquette came and sold out. Win trust. DePaul didn't. Too bad. The money's still good, and DePaul Athletics still gets the money. They get the money for a sellout at their gym. I don't, I don't like the whole idea of telling consumers you can't do blank. Mm-hmm. It's American dollars, right? Like the money's green. You should take the money. You should be, they should be able to walk in, but that's where the part is on the onus of the orange, orange crush. The orange crush should be allowed to buy tickets as the Orange Crush. If you're not allowed to buy tickets as the Orange Crush, don't then commit fraud 
to buy tickets under the 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 guise of the girls and boys club. And after that's and, messed up. And and what's in messed up and then after doing that, knowing you've done that, try to get put out a, a, a PR campaign to get people to right. support you. Right. And and the idea that what you were going to do is that you were then going to shame you were going to shame Iowa by putting out this really ridiculous and and clearly not proofread piece that is there no one is there no one that said guys how about we just let a sleeping dog lie here guys do we really want to go this hard in the paint about this cuz now i think it opens them up i think that they have opened a pandora's box that is going to have people looking into the 501c3 worthiness of the Orange Crush. And that's that's too bad, especially if there are people inside that organization that are trying to do good things through a student activity. But you sometimes have to police the people that are inside your organization. And if you knew that this is what they were trying to do and you didn't step in and try and stop them, too damn bad. That's Lawrence Holmes. I'm Dan Bernstein. Coming up, let's talk Bears with Jason Leisure on the score.